0: you need to understand that even things that you like to do or things that are maybe mildly working, sometimes you got to kill those to make the space to focus, to experiment on things that might have a step jump in efficacy. On
1: this episode, Devin and Margaret talk about creativity, focus, and then, well, they also focus, but they stumble into some interesting alleys. Get ready. This is Don't Say Content, created in partnership with Share Your Genius. And today's a bit of a wild card. I'm Katie, your producer, and these are your hosts,
0: Margaret Kelsey. It's not called, like, kill your shitty project. It's called kill your darlings. And Devin Bramhall.
2: When you become a manager or director, anyone, you are valuable not by doing the work. You're mm-hmm. valuable by getting other people to do the work. Okay. So something happened to me yesterday. Actually, oh, no. nothing happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> Has anything? I left the house, off? which felt <laughs> amazing after being sick in bed for eight days. But I was at the dog park and you and I had already decided what the next three topics of the show were going to be and we'd agreed that we were going to talk about focus in creativity. And so it was already on my mind. And I was at the dog park speaking with a woman who works in sales at a company and she's good. Like she's a high, she's a high performer. And she was talking about being really busy, like having a bunch of deals, she needs to like that are hot, need to close, I'm talking about what people you know. language. <laughs> what? Salespeople language, yeah. hot meals, ready to close. Yeah. And, and like she's going to be away for her wedding at the end of the month. So it's like closing, blah, blah, blah. Close per quarter and this and that. And so anyway, it got down to how busy she is. And we talked about, you know, getting support from other people on her team who report to her. And she said this thing that is a carbon copy of what so many other Managers have said to me throughout history, short history. She said, You know, the thing about delegating to someone else, they're like, I worry the quality isn't as good as mine. Like, I know how to do it the best. And when I see what they do, it's not as good. So then I feel like I have to micromanage to make it the best it can be. But then that takes more of my time and the person doesn't really like it. And that, that doesn't build trust. And she said, how do I build trust? And I said, well, you're, you're jumping too far ahead. Yeah. One of the categories of steps to build that trust is giving them something to do, giving them the parameters, letting them do it, and then using their work as a means of getting them making them better. Yeah. So no. Your life is going to get worse before it gets better when it comes to delegating because that's your job as a manager is to train them up. But so many people get caught up in this idea that, well, now they have someone and now immediately that person – Well, like it's not a clone situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like none of us were at the level we deserved. We all got to be in a place before we were ready to be completely useful in that place. Oh, yeah. So it brought up this whole idea of delegating, Um, which to me felt a lot like a means to helping you get to a place of focus. And so then I texted you and I said, we've got to talk about that. A bigger
0: topic than the topic we're going to discuss. I go back to even the first step of creating trust is giving trust without any indication that you should trust that person. And that's scary. That's very scary. But it's the only way that you can actually start building trust is that you just say, all right, I trust you to do it. And to your point, you can always pull back. You can always give it in something that feels less Uh, Mission critical. You can always like find the thing that you can do that with. But unless you say, I trust that you can do it, go do it. You're never going to have the first step of delegation, which is like, you go do it. Yep. I actually used to say those words. Yeah, me too. I trust. I trust you. I, trust, you. I yep. trust your decision-making capabilities here because the opposite of this is you get folks to where you or maybe not the opposite, but you create a culture on your team where people feel like they have to go to you for everything, mm-hmm. and whether it is a, um, whether it's where somebody's at in their career where they want to come to you for everything, or you've created that culture where everyone, regardless of where they are in their career, comes to you for everything like that can be really detrimental to you as a manager because you are always constantly giving red light green lights all day long rather than having swaths of time on your calendar to do the things that you need to do. Um, And I'm thinking about one specific person where I literally said exactly those words, Devin. I was like, I trust you. Like, I trust you. You're fine. You're capable. Go do it the other thing of like this it's not going to be up to my quality bar yet fine right like who cares what? is it going to get done like that's a great measure of whether or not you should delegate something will it get done maybe it won't be as perfect as you will do it but
2: it gets done what does it matter like it, i What's had what to what get used it? to cuz i should preface this by saying i've been terrible at delegating, I've been a total perfectionist. This is something I am. I continue to be on the path of learning. This is not something I have mastered. Oh, I'm good at it. I'm so, I'm lazy, lazy marketer. <laughs> I would. I
0: love giving people stuff to do. I give up my Legos every single day. Like take my Legos. I don't want it. I want to matter less. I want you to do it. So
2: yes. Yes, same here. Like, yeah, that is where like I had to learn how to do that though. Like, I didn't come here with that ability because I'm a perfectionist, people pleaser. So I was like, everything has to be perfect. Being a CEO beat that out of me a little bit because I I started off being that way and realized it was impossible. But I don't think I'll ever master it. I don't think so. Just wanted to put that disclaimer out there. Like, not perfect. I am more than happy to give work away. I'm way better at it than I used to be because I'm also like just tired and don't care enough anymore. Also, I find more energy from (laughs) giving other people things to do. You know, I'm like, oh, and like helping them do it better than I used to because I realized that's the state of perfection. The state of perfection is removing the single point of failure. Yeah. 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 If I'm not the single point of failure, I've done my job well. It's how I work with my consultants now. I'm trying to get them to fire me all the time. I'm like, I am going to work through your team to get this done. I'll step in where I have to to orchestrate things. The thing that got me there though was I had to learn to accept other ways of doing things and other results of work, especially when it comes to writing because that's something I'm deeply opinionated about. I had to learn to accept that the way other people execute isn't going to look like what I had in my head. And that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's probably better. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about how
0: you actually were able to get comfortable with that coaching, therapy.
2: No, my. <laughs> I mean, valid answers. Yeah. So the thing that pushed me in a good direction was. Haley and I came up together at Animals. We didn't know each other prior, but we were hired within a couple weeks of each other. And we really built the company together. And so by the time I became CEO, we'd been together for two years. Mm -hmm. And I I trusted her. She was able to push me and she would call out to me. She'd be like, Devin, like, don't do this. Get out of this. You know, she kind of had to nudge me a little bit and then I had to work with my coach to sort of understand where that was coming, like where my feelings were coming from, where my fear was coming from. And then I would see her do something and then put it out there. Mm. And I saw how the team reacted. I used to hate her presentations in all hands meetings. I was like, they're, they're too busy. They're too long. But the team loved them. It was different from me. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't matter. I didn't hate them, but they they just were, it didn't. Wasn't how your brain worked. No. Yeah. Exactly. But there are many brains at the company. Most of them aren't like mine because mine's kind of, you know, bonkers. So that was it. It was letting things happen and seeing that really good things happened when I let her be and do the way she thought was best. And how good does that feel
0: when you have somebody that you know you can delegate to and you've built up that trust? I was talking to this um, both through text message and actually, probably on publicly on LinkedIn too, with a woman that was on my team at OpenView, Shannon, who's now at Mad Kudu. And we were talking about how good it is when you have a team or a person or whatever that you know you're going to come to a one on one and just like unload your to do list on. And she was talking about that. I, I guess she has that. a mad kudu now. And I was like, I was like, I'm so glad you found your Shannons because like, that's how I felt with her like, you just show up. She's capable. She probably could have done my job. I mean, I hired her with the idea that like she could have stepped in and done my role. When you find somebody like that, I feel like it unlocks you as an employee of the organization to then do that next stage of work because you have unblocked time in your calendar to be even more strategic. And I think we've chatted about this, Devin, but any time that you're going up in terms of management, you have to look out further in the time frame, right? You're looking further ahead with every role that you have up the management ladder. You should be looking out further in, in terms of altitude, in terms of time. And that means that you're working on problems that you don't get to like check off at the end of the day. You don't get to say like, did this, did this, did this. It's like sit with this hairy problem. Like grapple with this idea, like try to figure out all of the different ways you can organize your team or all the different strategies that you can use, or try to figure out how to make these trade-offs between these two large budget items that like there's no right answer for. And so without delegation and getting stuff off your calendar, you're never going to have the time to continue to look up like the altitude strategically.
2: Yeah. Yes. I would say my challenge in the beginning or sort of in the middle was I tried too hard to make things equal in a way Mm -hmm. where decision-making was a little more consensus-based, which I think is good and right. But then sometimes it made it challenging for me to know how to like say like, just, just do this. Yeah. Like that was really hard because I'm always afraid of like that bulldozing thing where it's like, and so that created a scenario that actually ended up being quite negative and anxiety inducing for me because without that ability, I actually felt like I was working a lot harder just to get consensus around things that I wanted to be done. You knew you
0: were the right thing to do.
2: Yeah. And I, I don't even know what it is because I I didn't achieve it, but I I was not it mattered to me too much that everybody agree. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make me good. That makes, that was a shortcoming where like I needed to learn how to take the, because I've always wanted, it's so funny. I've always wanted these positions of power, but not because of the power. I just wanted something more complicated to do. I get bored (laughs) so easily, you know? And so I'm like, give me something I don't know how to do, but then It's like I get there and I feel guilty for being there or something. And so I'm like, everybody, it's like, let's create a sense of, you know, everybody's making this decision. But like, that actually doesn't work all the time. It really, really, really doesn't. And so there's like that. Then there's the other side of it, which was I did get to a point where I wasn't doing much day to day. And what happened was I started to get bored because I, when I was close to the problems, I had tons of ideas. I had tons of that translated into vision for the company. Yeah. And when I was so far away from it, I needed someone there with me. Yeah. And when it was just me, I was like lonely and boring and boring.
0: What is your thought about peer groups or like outside of your organization as like a I see I never really cared to do those peer groups but I'm seeing like more and more value of meeting with folks that are, you know, managers, leaders, executive level folks because of that loneliness. Do you find yourself doing more of that?
2: Oh my gosh, I did so much of it. Yeah. Because my biggest because I didn't have an actual board, yeah. I didn't have anyone to talk to. And so, and I couldn't confide in anyone because you're talking about the business. Yeah. And so that's why at one point I had, I mean, granted it was a pandemic too. So it was kind of like extreme circumstances to learn how to do the job. Yeah. So there was one point where I had two coaches and a therapist. And then like Walter had connected me with a couple people uh, I found people to talk to. There's yeah. a few people I talk to regularly. Um, my friend Duncan, who runs a little field company. It's like a video marketing company. My friend Lindsay, who's the CEO of Casted. Yeah. We yeah. would have monthly calls. Like There were people I started having standing calls with just so we could talk about. We could talk in the vault. Oh, Steve Pacross, He was another one. God, he was really helpful for me. And we just check in with each other. And I agree, that helped a lot. And it does help a lot even now. I just reached out to someone this morning who I met once and she was like this total badass. And I just was like, hey, do you want to catch up? And even in Boston, I mean, you remember, I was into everything in Boston. So I was constantly interacting with other folks.
0: That's the funny thing. So I feel like I moved up to Boston after you, I think you were already in New York. Yeah. So I don't remember you being in everything in Boston. (laughs) Wait, where were you before that? I was
2: in Florida. I'm not a Boston person. For some reason, I thought you were always there. We just never met. No, no. I was a transplant. I mean, I knew you were in Florida, but I thought that was a long time ago. Wow. There was another thing I wanted to bring up about this, which is similar to what you were already talking about. There was a thing (laughs) that I would tell managers when they were struggling. Yeah whether they worked for me or not. And that is that it's a classic, what got you here won't get you there. Well, oh, yeah. Yep. Always. Yeah. Which is you got to a manager place by being a high performing individual contributor. None of the things that you're good at will help you to be a good manager mm-hmm. because you're, when you become a manager or direct anyone who is in charge of people or departments, right. Right your value is in how much you're able to get done achieve goals without you being the single point of failure like yeah. you are valuable not by doing the work mm-hmm. you're valuable by getting other people to do the work but i think that that's the hardest part for people is to to switch that that first switch from i see to manager is so hard for people. Yeah. And it was hard for me too. It's not an easy switch. Yeah. Because one of the things that makes you an excellent manager yeah. is being able to get other people to do the work. Mm-hmm. And then your role shifts to teaching, motivating, inspiring, You know, like reporting, organizing. You know, it's all those things that you never did before. And I just always thought that was really interesting. Yeah.
0: And then the next roll up, like then your role turns into making good managers, right? Coaching management.
2: I think the thing that we were talking about that captured both of us was how we were talking about this idea of focus in creative work. And, you know, when do you focus versus when do you speed up and how delegating like those two things come together. It's not a direct one-to-one, but they are really connected. Yeah. And so what were you, what were you saying to me? Cause you, I remember you pitched this idea to me and I was like, what are you saying? And then you said it. And I was like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. So talk to me about what you're thinking about regarding focus. So for me,
0: especially in like a smaller organization or I'm advising a couple companies that are building a marketing organization or marketing program from zero to one. And there's so much that you can do, right? There's so many channels. There's so many things. There's just like, and each, like in within a channel, there's so many different variables that you can test, right? There's like content type and c t a and there's just like so much that you can do when you have this like blank page problem, and it's really interesting because there's such a fear, especially as you're as you're building something from scratch, that we need to do it all to see what works rather than we'll actually get better signal if we focus and so that to me is really interesting. I'm also right now um getting deeper into my like art practice, my, my artistic practice. And there's so much too about, there's like a, a parallel running with that work where it's like, the more I focus and only change certain things on what I'm experimenting with in my art, the better (laughs) my results are. And it's just, it's just like reinforcing that, like when you can do everything, that's too much to do. And it gets really messy and, and like clouded. And if you can really um, sometimes even create unnecessary focus, right? Unnecessary elimination of variables, the more that you can really understand what's working and what's not. Um, and so, yeah, that's what it's just it's so hard because I feel like people think of creativity as being big and large and messy and it can be, but it's big and large and messy. Even when you
2: refine the variables to be like minuscule, okay, you choose to focus on something, but then you you worry that, well, am I being too focused on this thing and not factoring in some stuff that would be important to making this successful? So even when you choose a lane and you say, okay, we're going to focus on this lane, yeah, there's tons of logical arguments or ideas. That to do other things in addition to that or instead of that. And so it's like as a leader, I feel like you're constantly trying to balance when do I shut out and when do I invite in ideas and feedback? Yeah. Because I can go both ways. I can be scattered and experimental or I can be like really focused. But then, you know, you think about they were talking about I was listening to the news about Facebook and the metaverse, and you know, some Zuckerberg, some recent talk that he gave where he was clearly focusing on AI, and they noted that he didn't mention anything about the metaverse. And what it made me think about was, especially at that level of visibility, it is harder once you've chosen a focus to switch focus Mm -hmm. in front of the team, in front of the world, where by focusing on one thing, it probably led him to the play, the right place yeah. by focusing on the same thing. And it's not to say he couldn't have gotten here another way. The conclusion was it's just too early to focus head on about the uh, on the metaverse. There's not enough of a cultural shift. So fine, he's moving over to AI, which makes sense. And so like there's almost too much vision there. It wasn't time for it. Yeah. But I still think that that probably gets you information. But then the visibility from the outside is like, oh, he's flip-flopping around. And oh, can you believe? And I'm like, I think that was just... You know what I mean? The other
0: dimension here is internal focus versus external messaging on focus. And when's the right time to reveal your cards and when's the right time to like direct your team to do something. I mean, with an organization like that too, like it's percentage of organization that you have focused on certain things. Like your focus can get larger because you have more resources and you can point them in the right direction. If you focus on something and it's the wrong call, then it can get you to the better place. That's really interesting, because without focusing, you don't have enough signal to know whether it's the right or wrong call, right? If you do everything all of the time, you're so diffuse in your information gathering that you will never know what to kill and what to invest in. And I think that's where it comes but down to like the more you can focus, the more you actually can get a quicker, velocity of this is the right or wrong thing, and I can either kill it or move on. Then we get into killing your darlings, which is another thing with both focus and prioritization that's really important, is that you need to understand that even things that you like to do, or things that are maybe mildly working, sometimes you got to kill those to make the space to focus, to experiment on things that might have a step jump in efficacy in order to find those. You need to kill things. And it's not called like kill your shitty project. It's called kill your darlings. Like it's yeah. something that you know you're going to like, you know? And I think we can, like we float throw it around like, oh, kill your darlings, kill your darlings until you have your darling in front of you. And it's like, you might have to kill that project, right? I don't think we talk enough about how painful that is. And I think then the trap that leaders, but also marketers fall into is they have everything on their plate. And then anytime you're going for like quarterly planning or whatever planning cycle you're on. It's like, I'm gonna do all of this and more, right? I'm gonna do all of this and then add in experimentation rather than like, I'm a finite resource, my team is a finite resource. Even if we're like well funded, we don't, we don't have all of the limitless opportunity in the world. Like we have to kill some things that maybe are even sort of working in order to make space for things that are going to be um, exponentially better. I can just
2: relate to that heavily. There's this point where you realize that the things that move the needle are pretty boring. Yeah, I know. It's That's it. Now, does that mean I advocate just doing the boring things? No, I think that whenever there's unpaved road, if you're the first person to pave it, you can benefit from it. So I do strongly advocate for experimentation and making wild bets. But the sad reality is demand gen exists for a reason because they do really boring stuff. And to whatever degree of... We love you demand gen people. (laughs) We do. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's so relaxing working with them because it's so straightforward. Yeah. And what I always tell other marketers is I'm like, that is math and science. It's math and science. That's all it is. And the things that consistently work in terms of getting people to click a button or view an ad is is math and science. It's not as much art. And they may enjoy your art better than the ad, but when it comes to taking action, a lot of times it's like – and that's like this pure cynical view. That doesn't – like there's tons of evidence to indicate Otherwise, But when I think back to Help Scout and all the effort we put into making beautiful content, the words mattered. Mm. It was our expertise that we shared that mattered the most. When I think about focusing and killing my darlings and why that resonates with me so much is I always wanted to believe that doing something with big vision that was really special, and this came to running a business too, but I think it's just there's that other side that's really hard for me to reconcile, which is that as much as I thought Walter's way of doing things, like running the business, was boring and mathematical, it also just you need that too. Yeah. Or like when you meet those you know founders who are using you know doing mathematical content strategy, I'm like, yeah, I mean, you saw results from that. Does that long term build a brand like a sticky company? Maybe, maybe not, right? I see why creatives, why it's hard for creatives to focus because you've got this day-to-day stuff that you just have to do to keep the lights on. And then you have this other stuff that's like fun and exciting because one, it's a risk. It's a hypothesis. thrill. Thrill. (laughs) Chase the thrill.
0: I think the interesting thing is we actually circled on this subject a little bit. And what I want, I think the takeaway from this conversation or like the broader takeaway, and maybe we can have a couple minutes where we go deeper into this, is that when you focus, in order to focus, you have to prioritize and delegate, right? Like that is the core to getting time on your calendar to be able to work on like one thing and go deep is that you have to, especially if in your position of leadership, get that stuff off your calendar and make sure it's delegated so that way like you have these swaths of time to like really prioritize and focus when that happens and in every stage that that happens on like a more and more altitude level it gets lonelier and lonelier and then you go across and like you try to hopefully find peers externally to your organization that you can find that camaraderie with that you can find that that kind of mental sparring partner with that you normally had before But I think that that's this circle, which is, it's a really scary thing to focus and to prioritize and to move up the ladder the way that you need to in order to look out at the right altitude to become a leader. Essentially, what you're doing is you're making your circle within the organization smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. But that that isn't the only
2: takeaway. Focus gets less scary. It feels less like a constraint and more like freedom the like the more you're responsible for mm-hmm. achieving and the bigger your team is. And then now it depends on how narrowly you define focus. Focus as a CEO was, here's our vision. Here's our year long plan. Here's our you know, five year plan. And then here's how we set up systems to generate that focus. But that focus is wide because yeah. I'm setting vision. It gets narrower and narrower per level which is what enables you to push the company forward. And the second thing that that the opposite of loneliness in that role is when you have time to do the work that's meaningful at your level, which is a CEO level is like basically thinking and experiencing and exposing yourself, right? I found that Consistently reading, speaking, experiencing outside the lines of being a CEO 101 taught me a lot more Mm. and made me a lot more creative and like supported my ability to focus creatively better. I remember one of my former managers, Allie, came to visit New York and we went to this like Alice in Wonderland immersive exhibit, something like that opened up my brain so much more to new ideas related to work Mm. than reading a book or, you know, understand, oh my God, like yet another framework. I was so sick of frameworks, you know? So anyway, I think there's like, and I think it's easy. It was hard for me to get there. My coach, Cecilia, like she really helped me understand that the inputs to outputs aren't one-to-one. You know, a, a strawberry shortcake can lead to, you know, a solution to a sales problem or whatever. You know what I mean? That sounds delicious. Yeah. And I think that that's like something I wished. It's a multidisciplinary approach to management and leadership worked better for me personally than learning what someone thought about how I should be learning, m- managing in a book.
1: And now a reading from soulful wealth, futurist astrologer, Jennifer Hirsch.
2: I have two sort of related questions. One is around pivoting and Um, not pivot necessarily in the explicitly startup sense, but I think I'm experiencing this right now. If you go down a path, you do make some decisions and people do start to have an understanding of you and your creative output or your brand, whatever, and can you lose focus and then come back? And is it like, like how hard is that to do when you think about changing people's minds? Cause I know a lot of companies fret about this too, but I think even on a personal brand standpoint, like change is hard. I think so many people get so worried about one way doors,
0: but it seems like they don't actually exist.
2: Yeah. And this is like, what goes back to every problem I've ever had ever with every company is like (laughs) They get so fussy about their brand early on, as if anyone cares, as if any single person cares or is paying enough attention to notice.
1: So it's kind of a seesaw in that, right? Because you have to go back to the essence of what is true about you. And that doesn't matter if you're a person, company, or like whatever you are, there has to be the thing that's always true about you that you're pivoting around, and I think when things get big or unwieldy or a lot of people are sharing in them, you forget what the truth is because maybe you've been in it so long, you don't have perspective. And what it, depending on the culture of the place you're at, you can't even hear the truth of what you may be when a branding agency comes in, right? Yep. So if you're pivoting successfully, successful pivots are always the core of who you are. We can think about this with like the longevity of some artists' careers or actors careers that like, even if they've changed or pivoted, like- they still maintain their kind of core persona, right?
0: It's interesting. It's like a pivot around instead of a pivot away from. It's like you're, right. just, you're circling it and looking at it from a different vantage point rather than like pivoting away from something.
1: And a lot of the work I do in Soulful Wealth is like our society is changing all the time. Job opportunities are changing all the time, but I'm only trying to ground people in who they are and like the essentials of who they are so they can be flexible in these changing wider conditions, right? When like your industry could evaporate overnight or your industry radically can change. So that necessitates a pivot because you still want to be vital, profitable. Um all of that, right? And actually I just want to say that like more broadly, like we're in four really chaotic years ahead. Like like broadly speaking, world, tech, all of this is just going to be up for chaos and the likes that like we haven't seen all, all of us given our age, right? You're saying it's gonna get more
0: chaotic out of the last few oh, yeah. years?
1: Oh yeah. I always tell people that COVID was a preview and then they get very sad.
2: <laughs> so okay, are we how far along are we in those four years? Like are we is 2023 year one? No, that's like we're year three-ish.
1: So we're almost done? No, no, no. We have three more years. Three and a half. Oh sorry, Devin.
0: Giddy up. I mean, we've touched on this too, I think, Devin, with some of our conversations around the idea that like everything is changing, we're watching it happen, and our frustration and even the reason of having this podcast is that folks are still trying to use the playbooks of what used to work even pre-COVID. Yep. And yeah. that's our biggest frustration is like you have to understand and figure out your marketing strategy, your marketing core pillars of truths that you can pivot around as you build new strategies for new companies in this new period of time with new audiences in a new world, right? And I think that's the thing that that was one of the frustrations which actually like brought us to this. So I guess it's good news that it's not gonna slow down changing because
2: that makes the message even more relevant. Everything is changing, nothing matters and we're making it all up.
1: All right. This is where our show ends. If you'd like to leave Devin and Margaret, your own executive thrashing story or nightmare marketing story, head to the link in our show notes. Thanks for tuning in. And if you like what we're doing here, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Maybe share it with your friends. Up to you. And I'll see you next time.
0: I didn't actually realize you were trying to be funny then. <laughs> My bar I think is that low. hurts worse. <laughs> Didn't even no, recognize humor. I think that's better that I like didn't even recognize. I didn't recognize it as an attempt, but like I think you're funny when I think you're funny. I don't know, maybe that's worse.